Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. This morning we are uh, going to be continuing in the book of Luke, and I want to read the scripture there. And before I do that, I just want to challenge you. You know, we kind of made an emphasis the last three weeks about being still and being quiet, listening to God and tuning out distractions. And I hope you haven't forgotten that. I hope uh, even this past week, maybe you continue to do some of the very same things that you were doing, or maybe you are starting to participate in that. So it's not meant to be a one and done kind of a thing, but just a continual reminder to us that if we're going to listen to God, if we're going to hear God, we need to tune out some of those distractions. Uh, and some of them we just bring on ourselves. And I was thinking last night, did any of you see the snow? <laughs> when it first started snowing, I didn't even know it. My son came over and he said, man, it's snowing like crazy out there. And I said, what? And went out and looked at those big, fat, juicy snowflakes. But have you ever noticed how quiet it gets when it snows? And so I, I was looking out the window just thinking, you know what, just a, there's just a peace and just a, a stillness and a quietness uh, when, when God does what he does. So I hope that you're continuing to um, think about that and find ways that you can be still and listen to him. The scripture this morning is in the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Luke 2, 41 through 52. It says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to a custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Lord, we, um, as we transition now from worshiping in song to worshiping in the word, I have to be honest, I, f I feel a little bit of spiritual whiplash because we have sung about you, Jesus, as the resurrected, victorious king. 
And now we've got to back the tape up, and you're a 12-year-old boy. That's, that's just a little bit hard for my mind to get around. So I think I know this, this text is in your infallible word for a reason. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us, help us to see, help us to savor Jesus, our Lord, our resurrected King, even at this point in his life that a lot of us can identify with, but it's hard to reconcile in our minds that this is you. And so help us, I pray. Help me as I teach. Let me be your mouthpiece. Give us all ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. My name's Bradley. I'm one of the pastors, and uh, it's great to see you all here if you're joining us in person or online. Those of you that braved Snowmageddon 2021, we are glad that you're here. Like I said, we've got to back the tape up a little bit here because when we last left off in the Gospel of Luke, which was over two weeks ago, Jesus was six weeks old. Jesus had been brought to the temple. Uh, He'd been circumcised first. Yeah, thank you, bud. And then he was brought to the temple to be presented by his mother and father. He's six weeks old. Remember, we ran into these, these these two old people, Simeon and Anna, devout Jews who had been waiting for Israel's Messiah. And there was prophecies that were given. There's been, so far in the Gospel of Luke, a huge emphasis on the circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth. Now, the camera is zooming in on this little boy. Does that feel weird to anybody but me? There's a shift in the narrative. I want you to look back at verse 39, okay? There's a shift between verses 39 and 40. We move from all the events surrounding Jesus coming, his advent, to the camera zooming in on the person. Verse 39, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord... They returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. They went home, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. I think Luke's emphasizing two things. Number one, Jesus is a normal Jewish boy. He's having a normal Jewish childhood. This has been one of Luke's emphasis. He said this several times. Everything was done according to the law or according to the law of the Lord. Everything's happening as it should in normal Jewish life. So he's a normal Jewish boy. He's also a normal human boy. He's growing physically. He's getting stronger. I love watching my son grow. He's He's growing. I don't want to, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm going to brag on you. Is that all right? He's growing. He's getting stronger. He can rattle off 100 push-ups like it's nothing. He's got a musical talent that amazes me and is growing and flourishing. He's becoming a man. His shoulders are getting broader. His voice has gotten deeper. It's no longer, Daddy, it's Dad. Right? Listen, I'm not trying to be crude. Jesus had to be potty trained. Jesus went through puberty. Jesus had growing pains. Can any of the students, young ones in the room, identify with growing pains? I remember when I was about 11, 12 years old, I went in my mom's room in the middle of the night and I told her I was having a heart attack. I was convinced I was having a heart attack because my chest was hurting so bad. Growing pains. Jesus went through that. Here's the second thing I think 
Luke is emphasizing along with that. Think of this like two railroad tracks. Jesus is a normal Jewish boy. He's a normal human boy. But there's something unique about him. There's something special. Luke says he is filled with wisdom. You you, you wrestle with that Greek word a little bit. and, And what it means is he's abounding in wisdom. I would take that to mean he's wise for his age. And he's getting wiser. He's growing in wisdom. And I believe it was noticeable. He's also, it says that the favor of God was upon him. The grace of God. God's favor was upon him. He's not increasing or like like decreasing, increasing in God's favor. But the favor of God is just evident on him. So he's a normal Jewish human boy. But there's something unique and special if you were to run into him at this point in his life. I think that's what Luke is emphasizing. Now, I want to pause from the narrative for just a minute. And I want to lay some doctrinal foundation, okay? This is huge, important, and even the young ones that are here, I want you to try to pay attention and get your head around this, okay? Here's two two things. Number one, Jesus is not a created being who became divine. That's huge. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, everybody say the beginning. Was the word, and if you don't, if that sounds weird, that the word logos, he, the, the writer, the writer of this gospel, John, is talking about Jesus. Okay, the incarnate Son of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, if John would have stopped right there, an argument could be made, and is made in a lot of pagan religions, that Jesus was created, that he had a beginning. But look at what he says in verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. How many of you know you can't be created if you're the one creating everything? Pretty simple, right? So Jesus was not a created being who became divine or became God. Here's the second thing I want to point out. Jesus is not an eternal being who earned divine status. That's huge. He didn't earn it. He didn't compromise his godness. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God. Can everybody say form? That word sounds weak, and here's what it means. His essence is God. Who Jesus is, is God. And that cannot and will not ever change. The essence of who Jesus, the Son of God is, is divine, is God. You with me? That's who he is. As much as I'm a man, Jesus is God. Okay? Let's keep going. He was in the form of God. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. That means he emptied himself. We'll talk about that. Taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Can we just say likeness together? You know what that means? It means if you would have run into Jesus in Jerusalem or in Nazareth or in Galilee, you would have looked at him and gone, that's a man. He looked like a man. He didn't glow in the dark. He didn't float six inches off the ground. He looked and talked and walked and ate and slept like a man. He looked like a man. Okay? Let's keep going. Verse 8. 
and being found in human form. Do you see that word again? Essence. What that means is Jesus did not, he was not a mirage, humanly speaking. He really and truly was a man and is a man. He's the God-man. His essence is divine, and he took on human form fully. He had real flesh, real bones, real emotions. He, in his essence, is also human. The incarnation of Jesus is not addition by subtraction. He did not neglect his, div- his divinity in order to become a man. It's, this is addition by addition. You with me? He really took on hum- humanity. He emptied himself of, or deprived himself of his divine privileges without ceasing to be God. I know that sounds kind of technical and strange, but here's why this is so important. Jesus during the days of his incarnation, was fully God. Can we say amen to that? And he was fully man. But he did not live, his life was not lived out from his divinity. He did not rely on his godness to live. He lived from his humanity and depended on the Spirit. That's one of the things we've seen in the Gospel of Luke so far is this theme of the Holy Spirit. And this is what we're going to see as we go forward in this Gospel. Jesus lives from his humanity depending on the Spirit. When he prayed, he was really praying. Okay? When he sweat great drops of blood in Gethsemane, when he cried out to his Father... That's genuine. That's real. He's living. Yes, he is an example for us. We can identify with him and his humanity, and he lived that way without ceasing to be God for us. Isn't that awesome? So let's take that, and now let's dive into this account of Jesus as a 12-year-old boy. It's interesting to me that The gospel writers really don't feel a need to give us a whole lot of detail about his childhood. In Luke's gospel, there are two big gaps. We get Jesus from birth to six weeks old, and then there's a gap until he's 12. And from this point forward, there's a gap until he's almost 30, or right at 30. In Matthew's gospel, we get the account of the Magi, and Jesus was probably about two, three, four years old when that happened. And that's all we get about his childhood. Now, there are stories about Jesus' childhood in what is known as the apocryphal writings. Apocryphal means it's doubtful in its authenticity. There's stories of Jesus making, he was lonely, and so he took some mud and made some birds and turned them into real birds so he could have pets. That sounds kind of ludicrous, doesn't it? Well, it is, all right? That's not the kind of real history that Luke has given us here. You can read this story, and can't you just imagine Luke sitting down with Mary And her telling him this story. Tell me about Jesus' childhood. I can't prove that Mary Mary was the eyewitness here, but I can't help but think that she was. She's telling Luke this story. So, the child, Jesus, fully God, fully man, is growing. He's abounding in wisdom. He's getting stronger. And the favor of God is upon him. And now, back to verse 41. Now, when his parents went up to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, so mom and dad are doing this every year, and then 
when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem and his parents didn't know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. And, but, sorry, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. All right, so Jesus is growing up in a devout Jewish home. And here's how this would work. A son would be taught the commandments by his parents growing up, particularly by his father. He was taught the commandments. And when the boy would reach the age of 12, that age is considered a year of preparation. And the parents would take the boy to Jerusalem and they would show him all around the temple. And they would do this, let him explore, let him see everything. They would do this to prepare him for his, and you've heard this before, his bar mitzvah. At age 13, a Jewish boy would have his bar mitzvah. And what bar mitzvah means is that he would just be a son of the commandment. So it's, it's possible, it's probable that that's what's happening here. Mary and Joseph have been going to Jerusalem every year. Now Jesus is 12 and it's time to take him with them. It's his year of preparation. You with me? Now, when they traveled to Jerusalem, they traveled in caravans. Huge groups. It's safer. Safety in numbers. They would make this journey with friends, neighbors, acquaintances, extended family members, even people from neighboring towns and villages. It would be a huge group that would travel to Jerusalem. And typically speaking, the women and children would be in the front. And the men and the young men would be in the back. You see where this is going? It's possible that after they had been in Jerusalem for Passover and it was time to leave because Jesus is on the threshold of crossing over from childhood to being a young man, that Mary thought, Jesus is probably in the back with Joseph and the young men. And Joseph thought, Jesus is probably in the front with the women and children. You know what assume does. I'm going to get in trouble for that. Don't send me any emails. Do you imagine how this went down, right? After a day, perhaps Joseph made his way up to the front. Or after a day, perhaps Mary made her way to the back. Hey, Joseph, where's Jesus? I thought he was with you. No, I thought he was with you. Moms and dads, you, you with us in this, right? You can imagine the looks on their faces. But you, you, no, you, no, I thought he was with. And then the panic sets in. The fear and the panic. You can imagine they're searching among their friends and acquaintances, frantically looking for Jesus. And if you're Mary and Joseph, there's got to be the sense of, man, we had one job. Keep up with the Son of God, and now we can't find him. Well, there's nothing to do but to turn around and go back. And this is not like a quick trip. Oh, we left him at Target. It's 10 minutes back to... No, this is a day's journey to get back to Jerusalem. And then it takes them two more days to find him. So let's pick back up there. Two more days to find him. Verse 46. And after three days, 
They found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. I remember talking about this story when I was growing up in church, in kids' church. And here's the feeling that I had. In, in you young students in here, that if you're a tween or a preteen or a teenager, you, you, you might identify with this. I didn't identify with Jesus in this story at all. You know, I, I pictured him taking these teachers to school. See what I did there? I pictured him lecturing them. Like he's 12 years old, but he knows everything because he's... Is that true? So, is Luke picturing for us here that Jesus, at 12 years old, is taking these teachers to school and telling them all the things that they've, done, they've got wrong and what have you? I don't think so at all, because what has Luke been emphasizing? He's growing. He's having a real childhood. He's growing in wisdom. He's growing in stature. The favor of God is upon him. He's wise for his age. He's abounding in wisdom. But he's a normal Jewish human boy who seems to have this special, unique quality about him. And look at Jesus sitting. Just get your, the resurrected king. Resurrecting me. And here he is at 12 years old, sitting at the feet of teachers, listening. Asking them questions. And yes, they're amazed at his answers. Yes, he is the unique son of God. Yes, he is divine. Yes, he is holy. Yes, he is born of a virgin. Yes, he is eternal. He is the word of God become flesh. Yes, 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 yes. But this is Jesus emptied. Not compromising his godness. But this is Jesus humbled. Jesus living as a real boy. And I want to say to the children among us, If you have this picture of Jesus in your head that he doesn't get you, get that out of your head right now. You can identify with Jesus as a student. You can know that Jesus, I know it's not the same culture, not the same context, but as a middle schooler trying to navigate this awkward transition from being a child into young adulthood, Jesus gets that. He's been through it. So young folks, don't think that you can't, that Jesus is distant, that you can't, that he doesn't get where you are, what you're going through. He absolutely does. So here's Jesus sitting at the feet. And then Mary and Joseph find him, verse 48. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. That word means torment. You can picture them, can't you? All the worst case scenarios running through their mind as they're frantically looking for Jesus for two days after they get back to Jerusalem. And I want to be careful with this. I don't want to read too much into the text, but when Mary says, 
your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Now that they found him, she's saying that to him. That does not sound like relief to me. Like if Jesus would have twisted his ankle and she found him being attended to by a doctor and it becomes clear, oh, it's an accident that he got separated from us. It doesn't read that way. What, the way it reads is Mary sees him, they find him sitting there, and the question is, what in the world are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be careful there, not dogmatic, but they're astonished. They're shocked and they're perplexed, and they've been looking for Jesus in great distress. And so what's Jesus' response to her? This is a normal mom being a normal mom, and what does Jesus say back to her? Verse 49. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? That could also be translated about my father's business, just as easily. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. So there's a couple of ways we could interpret Jesus' response. Is he being a typical tween and flexing his underdeveloped muscles and saying, I'm, listen, I'm 12 years old. I can make my own decisions. Don't come in here barking at me about what I'm doing. No, that's not what Jesus is doing. It could be very practical. It could be Jesus saying to her, why are you looking for me? I'm right where you left me. Isn't this why we're here? This is my time of preparation. This is, I'm, this is where I'm supposed to be. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so frantic? It, is that what Jesus is saying? Maybe, but I don't think that's quite it. Because Luke says they didn't understand what he was saying to them. They didn't perceive what he was saying to them. I think this is Luke's way of telling us there's a little bit more going on here than meets the eye. So we got to ask the question, what does Jesus at 12 years old understand about who he is and what he's on the earth to do? There's no way to know for sure at this point. I don't think Jesus is looking at Mary saying, look, I am the divine son of God, the second person of the triune God. I created you, by the way. So don't, you know, I don't think that's what he's saying at all. We also don't know how much has Mary told him about the circumstances surrounding his birth. What does he know? Does he know about Gabriel? Does he know about Elizabeth, Zechariah, and John? Is he aware of all those things? Did she tell him about Simeon prophesying over him? Did she tell him about Anna? Did she tell him about the virgin birth? You know, has she had the talk with him yet? Those are fair questions. He's a real boy. He's a real Jewish boy. And he's learning. He's growing. He's developing. What does he know? We don't know for sure. But I, it's almost like Luke wants us to know, even at 12 years old, Jesus has some sense of his relationship with his father. Did you notice the contrast between your father and I have been searching for you in great distress? And Jesus' response was, did you not know that I must be in my father's house about my father's business? Jesus, I think at this point, is at least becoming aware of his relationship with his father and that his father has something for him to do on the earth. At the very least, I think we can come to that 
conclusion. It's obvious that Jesus is special, he's unique, he's favored by God, he's wise beyond his years. Jesus obviously is expecting that there's some sense of shared understanding between him and his parents, that he has a mission, he has a business to be about, and that's why he's left there in the temple. Verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. Between ages 12 and 30, that's all we get. He was submissive to his parents. He continued to grow. He continued to develop. He continued to grow in favor with God and with man. So what are we to do with all that? I think we're supposed to do what Mary does. Mary treasured all of these things. It means she gathered up all the pieces. She gathered up all the pieces and tried to to set them in her mind. She's treasuring all this. I don't think in the moment that she's frantically looking for her son that she's thinking about Gabriel and the virgin birth and all the extraordinary circumstances that surrounded Jesus being born. I think she's looking for her son like a real mom. But in this moment, when he looks back at her and says, didn't you know I must be about my father's business? She's going, wow. He's 12 years old, but he's not any normal 12-year-old boy in the sense that he is divine. This is the incarnation, folks. And I think our worship of Jesus, if it's going to be full, if it's going to be rich, if it's going to be everything that God intends it to be, even when we sing about the resurrected king, we are still holding the divinity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus together. Those things are not intention. He is the God-man. They are gloriously woven together, seamlessly woven together, that our Savior is the God-man, Jesus Fully God, fully man. How many of you are thankful that he was tempted in every way as we are? Can I give you just a little taste of what's ahead in chapter 3? You remember Jesus' baptism? Luke's going to tell us about this. The heavens open and a voice is heard from heaven saying, You are my son, my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. And then Jesus leaves the waters of baptism, heads into the wilderness to be tempted. And what's the first thing the enemy says to him? If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. The very thing that he's just heard his father say to him, the enemy tries to cause him to question it in his own mind. And here's the cool part. Jesus didn't fight that temptation by calling on an angel to take care of Satan for him. He did it in the same way that you and I can. He said, man does not live by bread alone, but by what? But by every word. And what was the word? You are my son. Jesus lived from his humanity, depending on the spirit, without ceasing to be God. And we're, this, is, this is Luke laying a foundation for us to watch Jesus and see Jesus Go through his baptism, go through his temptation, go through 
his arguments with the Pharisees and the religious leaders and all the way to the cross as the God-man. The man who's fully God, fully man, depending on the Spirit for us. If we're going to behold the beauty and glory of Christ, if our worship and fellowship with Jesus is going to be all that God intends it to be, we must let the Gospels lead us to hold his humanity and his divinity together. John chapter 1, verse 14. Stephen, come on, let's sing. Let's sing Tis So Sweet. Just maybe a verse and a chorus. I want to end with this, this verse, John 1, 14. You know it well. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's mind-boggling, isn't it? But oh, how sweet to follow this Jesus. Oh, how sweet to be in fellowship and relationship with this Jesus. Oh, how sweet to learn to trust him. And I want, I, I long for my children and for all the students that are among us and young ones that are among us to learn to trust this Jesus. He's not a distant savior. He's not a savior that doesn't get us. He does. He's been through it. He's fully God. He's fully man. Let's stand and we'll pray together. I'm going to pray. Just lead us in a verse and a chorus, and then Donnie's going to come close us out. Lord, thank you for, thank you for this text and how it's led us to savor the fact that you really took on flesh. That you've, you've identified with us in every way. And we see that here. We see that you are the God-man, the divine Son of God who became flesh and dwelt among us. So I ask, Lord, that we would... Perhaps we're going to leave here today and... and spend some more time in this gospel we're going to spend some more time in the gospels watching and reading and learning about you and I pray that we would find ourselves in awe of you our savior who took on flesh for us teach us to trust you in all things in your name amen we hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message and we would love to hear from you tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you you can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.